0: Coming up on today's episode, we break down the Jets' three-game road trip, including the shooting gallery loss in Vegas. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore wiki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. All right, good to be back with you guys. Hope you enjoyed the weekend. Hope you had some fun at a couple of Halloween parties out there. It's the big day today. I'm out of chocolate, out of candies. The, the rule of thumb now is don't buy your, your chocolates on October 24th. Try to wait until October 27th, but we'll live and learn and do our best to try to make sure any trick or treaters get to get some goodies when they come down to my place this year. Um, but it was it was definitely more trick than treat for the Winnipeg Jets on Sunday night in Vegas. Uh, Tyson Rowicki from CJOB joining us here for this episode, and certainly looked to be when you take a took a peek at the schedule, maybe one of those scheduling losses where you're playing three and four. You know, the final game of the road trip, going to be a tough one, and the Jets certainly disappoint in that regard in terms of getting absolutely shellacked and lambasted from the Golden Knights in that one. I mean, it's (laughs) you can't can't say anything else other than they were more than lucky to get even a single point in that one. Um, But Tyson, I guess, first off, just how's it going? How was the weekend? Oh, was absolutely lovely. Nothing nothing beats a Halloween weekend, right? I mean... What did did you dress up as anything? I did dress up as something. Um, I went as I I had a couple of costume miscues, so I ended up going to like my eighth, my eighth choice, like my plan, my plan G. I wanted to be Razor Ramon so bad, but uh turns out I couldn't lose 30 pounds in a day (laughs) and a half. So, So I ended up going as Austin Powers oh that's that's classic yeah baby yeah (laughs) yeah yeah people people thought it was okay it it wasn't my i I usually take pride in my halloween costumes this one was this one was kind of c minus it was it wasn't it wasn't winnipeg losing in vegas bad but it was it was it wasn't my best work i i I think you were a hippie weren't you well that's interesting because I wouldn't call it a hippie for sure. Cause that, I don't know any hippies that look like that, but I, I guess, I guess you'd call it a pimp outfit. I don't even know. I just kind of threw together a zebra jacket, threw a zebra jacket on some white pants and got some jewelry and we're off to the races. Called it a day. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's about the person underneath the costume, right? It's not about, it's not about what's on the outside. It's about how you portray your character. That sounds like somebody that didn't win best (laughs) Halloween costume at the party they went to. It's all about the costume. Um, I'll tell you what, Connor Hellebuck might've won best costume Sunday night because he absolutely nailed his Dominic Hachette costume. Um, (laughs) I mean, I've got some stats for you, Tice that (laughs) unfortunately they don't highlight Connor Hellebuck's magnificent performance, more so underlining some of the tragedy that was the defending out in front of him in that one. But Man, oh, man, this uh, <laughs> this franchise would be in a much different place if 37 hasn't been between the pipes these past few seasons. And I, I think, you know, even despite the loss, I don't know, I can think of maybe two other games in a Jets jersey that, that have been better than the one he had out there against the Golden Knights. If you're into the fancy stats or anything like that, um, Vegas had an expected goals for rate of just under six in that game. Wow. Um, teams Teams don't hit that very often at the NHL level when they don't play the Arizona Coyotes. So it was, it was an absolute gallery out there and, and Helly did his best. He did his best, but you know, despite, despite the loss, despite the, the, the single point picked up by Winnipeg there, um, you know what? It, it, it could be worse knowing that, um, you know, at least, Hey, at the very least we got Connor Hellebuck between the pipes for the next, well, season and a half. And then we'll worry about that going into next year. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, and it's kind of it's kind of hard to hate on the the Jets. I mean, after tonight, it's easy. But yeah, you know, this, past, this past road trip, you've looked at on on the schedule before. You you kind of be happy with where the, where the Jets record is right now. But you know, after a loss like that, it's kind of kind of puts a damper on the whole mood. Well, so that's okay. Let's get into this first before we get into the actual Vegas game. Five points out of six on the road trip, you take that generally going in. Was, was it a successful road trip? Because you got not to the level against Vegas, but you got dominated by the Kings. They played, I would say, below average against the worst team in the league and kind of lucky to to grab the two points. there, or at least fortunate not to, you know, blow one in the home opener against the Coyotes. And then you have what happened out there against the Golden Knights. Results-wise, it was great. But I don't know. Do you, do you take it? Are you are you just kind of like, hey, let's grab the five points and let's worry about process later? Like, where do you do you sit somewhere on that? Well, this road trip brought a lot of questions forward, and there's still a lot of questions behind this team. Does Mason Appleton need to stay on that top line? I think that experiment has kind of run its course. I wouldn't mind seeing some some fresh faces on that line. Maybe switch up the top top six a little bit, and I don't know. Maybe we get to Maybe we get a Brad Lambert signing, get him in the top six there. Tight maybe Morgan, maybe Morgan Barron pops up there. See what he can do with that. He's got. I mean, Morgan Barron's got a great shot, so I wouldn't mind seeing him with Scheifele and Connor and see if he can maybe pot a few of those chances that he gets. But I don't know. It's it's really so far this Jets team has been really almost puzzling so far. Yeah, I mean five three and one as a whole is like I don't think you complain about the record. No. But do you feel better about the team right now than you did going into the season? I I would probably lean at best neutral. But it's just it's odd because they they've got the record that they have and I mean maybe it was really the LA and the Vegas games where a lot of the numbers have kind of skewed the team's results as a whole. You know, it looks a lot more damning on on paper when you take a look at, you know, shots against Power play, penalty, all that, all that stuff. It, it really <laughs> t- trends negatively with just how badly they played in, in two of the three games on this road trip. I guess for me, it's this. I'll wait until just before American Thanksgiving to kind of give like an honest, official assessment of of what I feel about the team's chances this year. Because you assume that Rick Bonus is going to come back for the next game Thursday night against Montreal, but these next four in particular. No excuses. They've got a ton of rest. They've got a bunch of easy matchups against teams before the season started. We assumed would be at the bottom of the uh, NHL standings. A lot of these games at home, no travel issues, any of that. There's really nothing they can lean on at that. And maybe even Nikolai Ehlers back, right? Like To to me, that will be a much better idea of, of where this team is. If they have a few more performances, this upcoming week like they did this past week, then I think it's officially time to hit the alarm bell and the panic button and say this this isn't going to work well for the Jets this year. But I'll, I'll give them a little bit more rope. But it's not much. A, l- a little bit more. And and I, I do think, you know, bonus not being there and this team misses Nikolai Ehlers a lot more than a lot of other teams would miss a top-line winger. I think, I think for me, I'll give them a little bit more time. But there are certainly... Major, major question marks that are popping up here because it, it looked a lot like the team we saw last year in this road trip, despite picking up five of the six points there. Right, and we talked about answering some questions, and one of the biggest questions with the Jets too is how they're going to fare against teams that are below them on paper in the in the in the standings. And so we'll see coming up, and I think it's going to be really interesting. I mean i i would I would hope that the Jets can come together here, got these next couple of games, and really put 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 together a nice strong effort but you know some of the there's this past game against Vegas some of the questions on D you know that we've been talking about and how some of the zone exits aren't clean you know just passes in general aren't clean it's I'm really interested to see how this is going to go over the next four games and I think it's going to really I don't I don't want to make too big of a prediction so early in the season yeah these next couple of games are going to be really really key for the Jets moving forward and I think if they can put together some strong performances. I think that that they can build on this, get healthy, get bones back. And then all of a sudden things start to take off from there. Yeah. You got Montreal Thursday, Chicago, Saturday. That, that right there gets you to seven, three and one, which is just, it's crazy with how this team has played that they have that opportunity. And and you'd be atop the division at that point. And then you've got Dallas um, in Winnipeg. And then you hit the road a few days or I mean, three or four days later, in Calgary to take on the Flames. So it's like this nice little warm-up before you get the ultimate litmus test against two of the better teams to start this year. So I think that's where I'll be. I'll, I'll wait until this stretch of four games to kind of make a definitive statement on on where this team is, is likely headed this season. But that's the whole road trip. That's kind of the the, the macro look at it. The, mi- the micro with that game against Vegas, and, and you touched on it there, Tyson, with some of the question marks that have popped up here, defensive zone being the biggest one. I didn't think this would be a major problem for the team going into this year, but it's without a doubt their biggest flaw so far. They, and it's not just one or two guys, it's a collective team-wide effort. Their brains shut down when they get the puck on their stick in the defensive zone. It is it is shocking to see the puck management, specifically by, by the blue liners. The forwards do share a lot of the blame as well, but I mean, my God, Neil Pionk had, pretty much a baker's dozen worth of turnovers in that yeah. game against the golden Knights. Josh Morrissey wasn't much better. Um, you know, even, even some of the guys that played decently were just, I, I just don't know what the thought brought. I mean, this is where I wonder if Rick bonus, not being behind the bench leads to some of this. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're installing a new system. A coach wants you to do different things and, and maybe him being there over four five, six, seven consecutive games might shore some of the things up there. I, I don't know what the real reasoning is behind it because Morrissey can move the puck. Pion can move the puck. Schmidt's good with it on his stick. Um, even Dillo Mello is not too bad moving the puck out of it. The, like, they have guys capable of it, but holy crap. They, they just make life so difficult on themselves. And I think the structure has been okay for them this year. It's just you can't have much structure if you're turning the puck over Fifteen times each period, which was pretty much what they did against the Golden Knights, right? And and these deep just no matter who's paired with who, it just seems that no one can really find that consistency. Like we talked to, talked to earlier on the season about how that Pionk Kamorsi deep pairing was really starting to build some momentum, and then this game happens, and it's like, what, what happened? Like where, what's, why, why are all of a sudden like, and <laughs> why, why, why is a great question, Tyson. What? Why, why is, is this happening? And then. Um, so now at this point, I wonder: do you, do we see uh DeMello and Pionk swap? Do we see that that pairing go back to where it was, and then maybe give Dylan Sandberg some time with Neil Pionk, guy who's noted for being a good puck mover? Obviously, last game wasn't great, but maybe that maybe that it's it's really hard to because they've already tried a decent amount of defense yeah. this year, and it's just no consistency whatsoever. Maybe Morrissey Schmidt, yeah, like, I, right? Like I I, I mean. Maybe Schmidt's been this team's most consistent defenseman. I, I don't know. It's I don't I don't know what the answer is. Uh, if I, but, sorry, if we're talking if we're talking D-men who have taken bonus' approach of defensemen being more aggressive, I think Nate Schmidt has been the most aggressive out of all the six, seven D-men that have played this year. Yeah, I would I would probably agree with that. And maybe that's a bit of a reward for him to to be up there on the top pair with Josh Morrissey. And like you said, you go Sandberg, Pionk, and then Brendan Dillon and Dylan DeMello as your third, maybe that's the way to go. I, I'd be okay with that. I understand they, they had to do something in the Golden Knights game because it was just shocking how how obliterated they were on the shot clock there. And and I, I do want to mention this before we give a quick shout out to our friends over at DraftKings, but um, there were some historical historically awful play by the Jets' blue line in that game and some of the numbers that that have come out of it are are shits are, it's really really hard to believe especially for guys that are have, have have a proven track record of being really good to great players in the nhl but it was it was just a legendarily bad night for specifically two of the defensemen on the winnipeg jets um, we'll get to that in just a sec but did mention it quickly there let's give A brief mention of our buddies over there at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. With a big deal on tap for you, 9, 10, 11 games into the season, $200 in free bets could be on tap coming your way. I'll explain how in just a sec, but a reminder as well, you can turn some small bets into bigger payouts with the same game parlays from DK. You can combine multiple bets, like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more for your shot at an even bigger payout. Maybe you want to sprinkle a little bit on the upcoming Jets-Habs game Thursday night. Maybe Wi-Fi for Montreal to get into a scrap with Brendan Dill. I I don't know. Who knows? There's some options for you to make some money there. Um, That's one way to do it, but we've got an even bigger one on tap for you guys here. And if you... Follow these simple instructions. You can win big with DK. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet $5 on any NHL team to win their game and get $200 in free bets if they do. That's code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So, how bad was it For the Winnipeg Jets in that game against Vegas, Tyson, Neil Pionk and Josh Morrissey, who were paired together for the majority of the game. And and again, this is not hyperbole, had the worst game of any player in the NHL this season and statistically the worst game by any NHL player in the last three seasons. The only only way I could say three seasons is that the data doesn't go as far back past. Like this, (laughs) this is one of the worst games that any defenseman has played in the NHL in a long, long time. And whether or not you are a follower or a believer in fancy stats, I won't get too far into it. But know this, the expected goals against while Josh Morrissey and Neil Pionk were on the ice, just between the two of them, was a shade under four. Wow. Four. While they were on the ice against Vegas, they were expected to give up four goals against. So if Connor Hellebuck has himself an average to below average night, they might have been dash four, dash five, dash six. An expected goals rate of 13%, which if my math is correct, is awful. And on top of it as well... There's another stat that is kind of like the NHL equivalent to war in baseball. They were both well over minus five in that game. Holy, which brings their total so far down that they went from, you know, borderline top pair, upper end, second pair territory. To one of the worst defensemen in the NHL. So, like, it was just, they they were, it's why it's kind of hard to look at the Jets' overall stats so far because they were so bad against Vegas. It skews them so far in the negative direction that you don't really get a a true sense of how they performed this season. But I knew Morrissey and Pionk watching them were were having a rough one. And it just, it was one of those nights where you're like, they're just going to get caved in. And and there's not a lot you could do about it. I did not realize it went to that extent that this is what you just will not see two good players play as poorly as they did in that one for the jets in Vegas. Yeah. And I, I'm almost at a loss of words with, from those stats. And I mean, some people do hate on advanced stats too. Like I, I do agree that sometimes they do overrate players, but you and me were talking about this a little earlier in the season uh, uh, off camera. And we were just wondering, are there any players that are ever underrated by advanced stats? And we really couldn't think of any. So if your stats are that bad, it's pretty indicative of how you've been playing in these past couple of games. And I, to me, the the numbers match the eye test. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, if you're an eye test person, guess what? The eye test matched the numbers in this one. So I don't think anybody's gonna make too much of an argument in that one. It was just, it was shocking. I, I, I couldn't believe it. And it, it, it's a funny game too because, and it was the same way against L.A. I had major questions about the bottom six going into this season. They've kind of carried this team lately, yeah. Like they've been really, really good. I thought you know top end wise this team might be okay, but we mentioned the Morrissey Pionk numbers there. Whether it was Shifley, I mean, they there was the flip flop of Shifley and Dubois with the with the top six wingers. It did jack squat again. You know the, the entire road trip long, they they just did not play well whatsoever. And it was the bottom six carrying the mail against the Kings. And they were the only ones that came to play, in my opinion, in terms of skaters up front against the Golden Knights. I I think Adam Lowry's continued to have a really, really strong start to the season. Sam Gong is, is, Sam Gagne has been amazing. I mean, you asked who, if you wanted to take Appleton off the top line. to me, Sam Gong is the guy that I would have no problem flipping up there. If Nikolai Ehlers is to miss any more time. And then, this kind of makeshift fourth line of, of Jansen Fjallby and, and David Gustafsson and, and Menelainen at times depending on how the lines work out they've been really really good and Gus in particular has had a couple of he might have you know if you're looking at any of the Jets up front I think Gus might have had the best road trip of any Jet forward yeah I've been I've been really impressed with Gus so far this season I think he's I think he's really developed into a, a really strong bottom six forward and there was, some, there was a little concerns in his first couple of years. There was injury concerns as well. But, man, he's really starting to put it together. And I, lo- I love the waiver claim on Jansen Fialbi. And I think I would like to think that Scott O'Neill had a big part in that waiver claim because he had him for a little bit while he was with Washington last year. And I think he's fitting really well. I love his speed, like we talked about earlier. He kind of reminds me a bit of a Brandon Tanner of light. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you 100%. I think the bottom six has been pulling their weight 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, look, Shifley was great before the road trip. He did not play well whatsoever. I, I think Cole Perfetti even too had a, a bit of a rough one, despite a beautiful goal against the coyotes on Saturday night. Um, but I think Lowry, Lowry has certainly, certainly elevated his play and maybe the letter on his chest is, you know, taking him to another level there. I've, I've really liked him. And, and, and maybe the only one on the blue line that played any good in Vegas and I think a lot of fans will, you know, like this trend is Dylan Sandberg. I thought that was Sandberg's best game of the season, yeah. even though the team played its worst game of the season. I think he's just starting to get more and more comfortable now. I, I think maybe I don't know, early jitters, trying to do too much, whatever it was. I think getting a couple of games in a row under his belt now, we're we're seeing Dylan Sandberg get back to where he was last season. And isn't, yeah, isn't I, that crazy. Isn't that crazy when you give uh young demon some playing time and yeah. a little bit more shifts that they start to put things together that's a little weird it's weird how that works isn't it and i mean we'll 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 see how this plays out over the next few games but i'll tell you what speaking of young defensemen if if this team continues to have troubles on the power play and continues to have troubles moving the puck out of their own zone i wonder if they have a guy somewhere in the city here that might be able to help them out with that i don't know we'll, we'll have to wait and see that that's a discussion for for another show here um but good to know that Hanela is having himself a hell of a start to the season with the moose. I, I would understand if he had a bit of a bad attitude and that might've carried over to some negative performances, you know, not saying he should, but I could understand that. But I think really promising that he's just, you know what, I'm going to kick ass down here. And if you're not going to play me somebody else, well, but I'm i uh, I'm going to do my time down here and, and, and show out. And, and he's done that so far, which is great. We, we should touch on this specific play. One of the many shooting gallery shifts for the Vegas Golden Knights in the game, but it was the final shift of the game. And Jack he- hey, Jack Eichel's doing Jack Eichel things right now. He looks great for Vegas. Hey, he-, he had himself an outstanding game as well. But unsurprisingly, a lot of people upset with a few skaters on the ice as Jack Eichel dipsy doodles around the offensive zone two or three times and then skates through the heart of the Jets defense and puts one pass to helpless Connor Hellebuck there. I've got some thoughts on this, but Tice, specifically with Mark Scheifele on that one, he seems to be wearing the goat horns from a lot of people in Jets Nation. What what, what did you see on the play? Was there somebody to blame? Was it just a superstar doing superstar things? I I think it's more of the latter, to be honest. And, of course, there is problems there. They did give up a ton of shots on that shift. But if you want to pick out the one play there, I, I honestly think, I have more problems with earlier in that shift than at the very end because at that point, when you have Jack Eichel, one of the top players in the NHL, and I mean, last year he kind of struggled a bit coming off the surgery, moving to a new team. But man, like you said, he looks really good. And I I don't know how many players, when they're out there for an extended period of time, are going to be able to keep up with Jack Eichel on the blue line there. And I think pinpointing it on Shifley on that very specific play is a little does does them a little bit of injustice, but there were plenty of other plays where they get where they could have gotten the puck out. They could have made a better play, and they just didn't. Yeah, I'll you know if you're looking to put blame on a single person, th- this might be surprising, but to me, Mark Scheifele was the third most culpable yeah. player on that sequence. For me, number one, I'll pin the blame on Scott O'Neill for for having him out there. That was. At that point, Shifley had played just under three minutes of the five-on-five overtime frame. He's just gas. Like, what look, I mean, would you like a, a slightly better effort for sure? But he had nothing left in the tank. He played 20, 22, 23 minutes. He was at the end of a long shift. He had played over half of the overtime frame. It's like, what do you what do you expect? What do you yeah. what, what do you want him to do? He can't once once your legs are gone. The there's not, not a whole lot you can do. For me, it's just Give Cole Perfetti a shift. You didn't see the ice in overtime there. If you, if you want somebody out there that you know can perform and, and give you a little bit of an injection of skill out there. I I, I put the blame on the coach in that situation more than Mark Scheifele. And then even from the skaters perspective, Josh Morrissey is is right there. He's just standing in the middle of the ice. And I think Scheifele in a way was kind of expecting Josh Morrissey to step up in that situation with only a few seconds left. And poke the puck away from, like, do, do help me out, do something. Yeah. And, and he just kind of stood there doing nothing, right? Like, I it, w- it wasn't a great defensive play, don't get me wrong. But I'll look at the coach who overplayed his guy in OT. And I'll look at the defenseman who needed to help the middle of the ice there more so than I will 55, who's, I think, been pretty damn good so far in his own end by his standards so far this season. Yeah. And can we, we we need to talk a little bit about the overtime deployment, too, because I like like you said earlier. I agree. Adam Lowry's been great. I don't think Adam Lowry is one of the guys who should be going out there and three on three. And it's nothing against him as a player. It's just when you're a guy who's six foot five, and let's be honest, he doesn't have the greatest. Well, speed. Lowry and Appleton, right? Right. It's just you're asking guys to perform in a position where they're probably not going to succeed. And I do think that Cole Perfetti should be getting some some shifts. I'd even throw in Sam Gagne, too. You like in three on three, you need guys who are going to be able to make plays. And realistically, in three on three, you're just playing man. It's you're playing man to man. You state you're sticking with your guy. If you're switching, you communicate with your with the players on the ice that you're switching. It's not like I, I just I really would like to see more speed and skill put out there in the overtime periods. And if you want to toss Lowry out there when they toss out. A third, their third overtime pairing, then fine. But I, I just don't think him with Appleton is a recipe for success. Yeah. Maybe the worst thing that could have happened was that Neil pionko T goal, right? When they immediately they threw Larry Appleton, we're like, oh no, Colorado's <laughs> going to eat them alive. Oh my gosh, we won the game. Maybe that, yeah. But I agree. And I, I, it might get mitigated a bit when Ehlers comes back. So there's that too, right? Where you would have some combination of Shifley Connor. Dubois and Ehlers, and then at that point, Perfetti, we like right, whoever it might be, you'd, you'd have three, three groupings up front that you'd feel pretty comfortable with that they could create some offense there. But yeah, I, outside of a spot shift here or there to give the the offensive guys a bit of a rest, uh, I'm not looking at Lowry and Appleton too often when it comes to three on three there for sure. Um, there was something else I wanted to touch on on that play. I thought maybe not. Oh, well, it sucked. It sucked yeah. because yeah, I just you had the feeling if they could have got to the sh- – oh, there was one thing. Okay, so – and and this is more of like a tactical thing, right? But – and I get when you're gassed, you're tired, you're not really thinking straight either. But if I'm either Shifley or Morrissey or even Hellebuck in that situation, there was what, like 10 seconds left on the clock, something like that? Just tackle him. Yeah. <laughs> like, not like, figuratively, literally tackle Jack Eichel in that situation – Because, I mean, it it does you no good at that point to avoid taking a penalty. You're trying to take away a dangerous scoring opportunity. And I think worst case scenario in in that instance is with, what, six, five, four seconds left? It's a shorthanded draw in your own zone. They're they're not going to, you know, generate a a crazy high-end scoring chance you would think out of that situation. You win a face-off draw, you get to the shootout, right? But that was what I kind of thought as that play happened, like, I'm safely there just do not let him get to the front of the net don't hesitate whatsoever hook him slash him jump kick like whatever it is just do whatever it takes to keep him out of the blue paint there yeah I've never understood why teams don't do that more often especially like late in games when, yeah. you're, up, when you're up a goal 15 seconds left in the corner and the guy gets I go, just trip him yeah like, trip him in half who cares it happens at soccer all the time where you get a yellow card but like you know what I mean if a guy has it anywhere just grab him just pull him down it, it, it happens in every other sport it just seems like hockey they're a little hesitant to do that so I don't I don't expect teams to do that in that situation but I I think it's kind of a sneaky like heads up hockey sense play yeah. there where just take the penalty and at the very least you got a face off to win as opposed to trying to stop a high danger scoring chance in the area um but I think it's fair to say that that should be that, that shouldn't be what the focus is at practice here, right? It shouldn't be like, how do we take penalties? It's how do we avoid giving up 50-ish shots to the Vegas Golden Knights and six expected goals for Connor Hellebuck to try and deal with. So we'll see if they clear things up. Hopefully it's not as bad against Montreal. If it is as bad against Montreal, we could officially hit the, the panic button and the alarm bell. But hopefully things go a little bit smoother for the Winnipeg Jets with our next two at home. So that'll be it for this episode. I'll actually, we have one more thing to touch on, Tice. And we'll kind of end on a high note here because when when your team gets as dominated as the Jets were in Vegas, there's not a whole lot of positivity to break down. But with Halloween on the horizon here, because we're taping this just before trick-or-treating gets underway, everybody loves a top three list. Top three? Top five? Let's do top three. We've already gone too long here. Give me your top three Halloween candies. You you could have any, you know, chocolate, candy, whatever it might be and you can only have 3 to ingest 5000 calories worth on what are the 3 chocolate bars or candies that you're going with number 1 and it's not even close it's not even close it's the greatest chocolate of all time the reese's peanut butter cup that it's is without course. a doubt number 1 on my list that I'll I could crush have you ever had those uh the big the big cups the big the big cups with the reese's pieces inside is Probably Mount Rushmore all-time candy moves. It's it's, just, it's out of this world. It's so perfect. Number two, I'm gonna go on the sour side. They're sweet and they're sour. Sour Patch Kids. Number two, Sour Patch Kids are That's my, my wife's Yeah, my my favorite candy by far. And number three, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a little local. I wonder. I wonder if you know where I'm going with this, but the old fashioned. They changed names t- uh, once. And we're talking about OMG's, on Hoppers. That is the most underrated candy chocolate by far. OMG's are good. That's a great call. Have you had the peanut butter pretzel ones? No, but that's going to change in about 20 minutes. They're hard to get. If you ever see them, they are so money omg that's a good call and 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 the shop local hashtag thrown in there as well what a hero move by ty that's a pretty good list i'll give it to you that's a pretty good list i gotta go i'll agree with you on the reese's cup that that's gotta be in there that's and this might be like this this might be the reason i couldn't go as razor ramon but my my go-to move in the morning is coffee and a reese's peanut butter cup which is it's too fat but it's so good it's so good I used to I used to eat Reese's peanut butter cups before the gate before my hockey games. I would and I would only have two because you got to have the two and nice. then you got to tr- have a treat for later. Geez, why why are you doing a podcast and on the NHL with, with that kind <laughs> of a diet? That's weird. Uh, but I'll go. I'll go Reese's. Mars has always been my favorite. Mars is great because it's literally just like an excuse to eat a pound of caramel, which is I, I'm never going to turn that down. And number three. I See, I don't like candy all that much. Like I, I just I'm not a I'm not a huge sweets guy to begin with. I I'll go Twix. Twix oh. is I like Twix. I've always I've always had a soft spot for Twix. Twix is really underrated. I feel like yeah, really underrated. Yeah, that, I I feel good about that that top three. Even Snickers, I, I you know, Snickers is pretty solid. But I I think I'd go with those three. I feel pretty com- confident about that. Yeah, no, and then you can't forget about the. The Betty White Abe Vagoda Snickers <laughs> version, like, best of all time. Just I remember watching them just laughing for like 15 minutes straight. Just, Betty oh. White over the middle. <laughs> you know, that she, she might be the third, the the starting white out for the Packers at this rate, right? Yeah. Like they they, they they it's just oh it's too bad. Actually, speaking of teams that suck. Let's touch on this quickly before we leave. This is also a high note for everybody here at Winnipeg. Um but give me give me 30 seconds on the state of the maple Leafs right now, Tyson. 30 seconds. Disaster. They are in it. Seems like they're in free-fall. Everyone in Toronto's freaking out. Sheldon keefe has gotta be on the hot seat. If you go on Twitter after every single Leafs game, you'll see Mitch Marner trending, Sheldon Keith trending, and their old friend Mike Babcock trending. And just to see all the discourse, all the panic going on in Leafs Nation right now, oh. It's just a sight to see. It is kind of – I'm back on to hating the Leafs now like 100%. I, this this team disgusts me. Um, I think there's – they. Th- this is a team that – Internally should be taking care of these issues, but I don't know what like what the deal is with these guys running right the room. That they, they just seem like oh whatever we'll figure it out. Well, guess what? You haven't won jack squad. Like yeah. you, yeah. you can't. Colorado and Tampa Bay can take two months off. You guys can't take two months off because you can't beat anybody when it matters. So that the, the the makeup and the the psyche of this team is is really. I don't even follow the Leafs, and it pisses me off. <laughs> um, I, I just, I, I at this point, I think a big move is the only thing that's going to shake them up. I don't know if it's a coach. I don't know if it's a player, but something, something's got to happen. Cause these guys just don't give a flying F. Yeah. I, like it, I, I can't imagine watching them knowing how talented they are and just seeing them sleepwalk through games. And like I said, you're not Colorado. You're not Tampa Bay. Like go out there and do the work. Like <laughs> skate, like work hard. It's just, Oh, there's, there's nothing. I, it, this always bothered Westy so much when high end talent just wouldn't work hard right and it's one of those like annoying old school like old dad clichés that like you know hard work beats talent every day of the week i always used to roll my eyes at that but the leafs they they could take a page out of that book right now because it's it's ugly it's ugly out there i don't know if there's a fix coming anytime soon playoffs wait <laughs> <Right>? playoffs <laughs> we can't even win a game oh yes a leafs meltdown to wrap up the episode that's always a great way to close these ones out so let's call it there tice thanks for uh joining in once again and helping out here and we'll uh why don't we do this again to close out the week what do you say well why not all right why not we'll do that then thank you guys so much for stopping by and listening to another episode of skates and plates right here on the hockey podcast network i'm your host brandon Verwicki. we'll get back at it like i said to close out the week with a friday episode breaking down the thursday nighter at home as the Winnipeg Jets welcome in the Montreal Canadiens. Until then, stay safe, enjoy your Halloween, enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll talk at the end of it, everybody. Peace!